Hi, and welcome to the 12th House Podcast. I'm Michelle. And I'm Wallace. And we're here to deliver your wellness news. All right, we got, we got a lot on the docket today. We're going to get through it fast. So first thing that we've been DMing back and forth is Droplet. Droplet is an adoptogenic functional beverage created by Celeste Perez. It's female-founded, woman-of-color-owned, and... Pepsi knocked him off this week. So it looks like PepsiCo already reached out to Droplet last year because they thought they were in violation of the Mountain Dew brand. Droplet used to be called Dew Drop and Pepsi was like, you better change your name or else. And so Droplet did what they asked and changed their name and their branding. And lo and behold, it looks like Pepsi put out a brand beverage, a functional water beverage a couple of days ago. That sounds a lot like what Droplet does, like literally down to some of the same copy. And similar ingredients, but also way worse name. It's called Soul Boost. Way way worse. (laughs) They really lost points there. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like if Adidas shoes got religious, you know, like it's not good. I feel like they should have just made like a very simple sparkling water can that just said Chugi on it (laughs) and then just added a bunch of plus adaptogens. (laughs) That's exactly right. Yeah. Pepsi is so out of touch and so not cool. It's like they're so try hard. It's like embarrassing. They're embarrassing. I personally would support Celeste because she's seems like a really cool founder. She's also... She's in the cusp. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's in the cusp. I know. I feel for her for so many reasons. First, because she's like, it's so hard to bootstrap a brand, especially a brand with physical products. She's in like Erewhon. She's in the bougie grocery stores or corner store bodegas here in LA. Like she's done so much in a pandemic by herself. I feel like she's got a really small team and limited capital. And for a giant corporation like Pepsi to like come in like dick swing, you know, and try to take her brand... It's just fucking rude. And like the dream of every small business is to get acquired, not every, but so many CPG businesses is to get acquired by a larger business like Unilever, like Pepsi, like whatever. And the fact that Pepsi could have very easily acquired Droplet and bought them and like continued to profit off of them and and like paid Celeste, like it would have been such an amazing story. And Pepsi had to go down the shitty capitalist route of just stealing someone else's IP. And like, arguably, there's nothing that new like happening here. There are lots of functional beverages out there on the market. There's lots of infused waters. There's lots of conversation around wellness, but it could have gone a different way. I think we have to acknowledge that there are a lot of the same sort of brand ideas and conversations and copy floating around. And as consumers, we get the choice, like you said, to decide who we want to invest in and like where we want to put our, our dollar. And that's why we started The Cusp because we wanted to talk about shit like this that happens that you know a lot of consumers would never know unless Droplet came forward. Yeah, and also I just want to shout out, I've tried their Pretty Bright flavor. And Mm -hmm. I did really like it. Pretty balanced just wasn't the flavor for me. I haven't tried pretty happy, but they're also really beautiful, really well designed. It looks like they have an all women run team. I just, I think we should all subscribe and support them now. (laughs) 
Yep, there you go. Smash that subscribe button on their on their Instagram. Go buy them at your corner store wherever you can. And fuck Pepsi. Speaking of giant corporations, class and acquisitions, Classpass and Mindbody are in talks to have a merger, which is like kind of a big deal. Yeah, just you know, sign the deal, speed it up. <laughs> we don't want Mindbody anymore. <laughs> This is the hell that Wallace is willing to die on. 100%. She is not a mind-body person. No, I told you before I'd have to leave my body. My mind would have to leave my body in order to <laughs> sign up for a class. And then I wouldn't want to show up because I went through such a traumatic experience of trying to get into the class, not even knowing if it's the right studio or if you paid. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes, that I've totally done that before. I've signed up for the wrong studio on my body and then been kicked out of class. Not even, they didn't even allow me. It, it was horrible. My body sucks. It sucked for so long too. It's just been around forever. And like, we just all deal with it. It's like- Market share. Ugh. Yeah. And so hopefully ugh. ClassPass with their, you know, unicorn status can pump some money back into my body, take over that whole processing system and make it much more seamless because they have way better tech. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. It's just like cuter, first off. And second, they hopefully will create that universal login. So you don't have to log into every freaking studio on MindBody with a different password and different email. Uh, yeah, every time it's like, you... I'm trying to give you my money and you're making it hard. <laughs> so hard. I mean, like like you said, sometimes when I see a studio has MindBody, I'm like, nope. I don't fuck. I'm just not going to go there. I'm just not going to go there. I don't think I have the energy for this today. I think this will take more from me than it will give. Yes. 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 That's right. Speaking of things that just take a lot of energy and are exhausting, Elon Musk was on SNL this past weekend as the host. And he announced, well, he, in part of his bit, he said that he had Asperger's. He revealed that he has Asperger's. And to mixed, to very mixed reviews. I mean, this guy knows how to stay in the news. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I saw on Twitter, this was trending. There are people who are autistic who are saying that this is embarrassing that first off that Elon Musk, like they're like, we don't want him to be one of us, but also that he's even using the term Asperger's because it's outdated and it's a kind of problematic term. It's the history is like not, it's very fraught. There's Nazi, there's a Nazi situation. Like you can Google it, but it's not even a term used by the DSM anymore. It's not a diagnosis. So it kind of, I mean, I'm all for like, creating more visibility around people that are differently abled or who have been disabled by society and like reclaiming diagnoses like depression, anxiety, and or the diagnosis of being autistic. But I don't know if this is the way, man. And it felt like it was used in a gross way, like kind of pandering to the fact that he was aware no one wanted him to be on SNL. Everyone was not looking forward to it. And it felt like he was using it as a crush because I might have these undesirable traits that you've all heard about. And now I'm in a vulnerable position. So here I'm going to use this as a crutch. Like it felt gross. Felt weird. It didn't feel good because I think the larger conversation around autism is that it's not like it would be better if you didn't have autism, which is like how it's often framed of like, oh, like there's something wrong with you when in fact it's like you're a person who's autistic and 
it is as opposed to it's something to fix, which it's not. It's just a different way of interacting and being in the world. And yeah, it just felt like that whole thing missed the mark. Yeah. And it's disappointing that, I don't know, as quote unquote woke as SNL tries to be, that that was not something that was discussed or made it through. It was like big miss on their part. But yeah. Then we get into, we kind of talked about this, like comedy. We don't want to take everything so seriously, but also like, what? I don't know. It's tough. It's tough stuff out there. Yeah. And I think it kind of points to just like the mincing of these terms in society and where, how they really leave realm of professionals and they get picked up and used in culture and spread across Mm. social media. And then our understanding of them changes and the way we talk about and use them changes. It's not like we all have the same understanding of what those words mean either. Totally. Yeah. There's this great article in the New Yorker Mm -hmm. about how we're just like basically taking therapy language, therapy speak, and like trying to put it into popular language. And we're so not doing it right. Like we're not using these words appropriately or in the right context at all from words like, you know, enmeshment or spiritual bypassing to like a term like trigger or being triggered. Yeah. Also OCD, I feel like it's a big one where every, just everyone is always like, oh, my OCD about cleaning or my OCD about this. It it becomes an excuse to opt out of something or to excuse in a, a behavior as opposed to it being a tool to work through an issue with like trigger, I think is the mm-hmm. example they talk about. Yeah. And I mean, like if someone is OCD or it's, it'd be like saying like, I'm depressed because they didn't have this spicy chicken sandwich at Arby's. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's why you're depressed, dude. I don't think that's depression, but you could be really sad or really bummed, but kind of minimizes like the actual term and meaning yeah. and like takes away from it. Yeah. Which points to something we've been talking about a lot and we'll link this article. It's a really great one in the New Yorker by Katie Waldman, but there is another one in Refinery29, which is TikTok diagnoses. Mm-hmm. We've been talking mm-hmm. about ADHD diagnoses, menopause, narcissism. I have been convinced <laughs> all of my exes are narcissists by TikTok. Who's to say they weren't? And Just saying. We don't. Who's to say they're not? <laughs> TBD, the jury know. still are. Yeah, how do you even know? And, and it kind of brought me full circle to realizing I don't really fully know what this means. <laughs> And (laughs) (laughs) right, right. And like, there's, there's more complexity and that like, we, I feel like we've talked about this all the freaking time on this podcast, but like, there's so much more flavor and nuance and complexity to these conversations. It's not just like, here's a list of symptoms. And if you have them, you have this disorder. I just went to a psychiatrist about ADD because of TikTok and they diagnosed me with ADD. So I'm right behind you by a year. Or ahead. Well, you're ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, by a year. It's, it's a journey. That's a whole other conversation. But what's really interesting about this article, which points to what you're saying, which I actually really liked, is that most of the professionals who are quoted, as well as the TikTok creators, they're quoted as saying this is a tool for people to explore their relationship with mental health. And it actually could be seen very much as a positive because a lot of mental health services are still extremely inaccessible. And this information is confusing. And if you can find certain symptoms that you're tr- or issues you're trying to work through and can lead you to explore your own mental health a little bit more, that's not a bad thing. And I, mm-hmm. it was a nice reframe because I think I've seen a lot of articles condemning 
you know, TikTok diagnoses and, and you have to be careful, like with anything, you have to vary your sources. But I thought it was a really nice spin on the fact that actually it's opening up more resources for people to look at their own mental health in a very empowering way. Totally, especially people who have traditionally been marginalized or excluded from some diagnoses, like women in ADD or ADHD, which is like chronically underdiagnosed in women. I would argue things like endometriosis and PCOS, because more people are talking about them, they're getting diagnosed more regularly and being able to get treated more regularly. And to your point, I never, I see a therapist every week and she, I don't think she would ever say that I have ADD, but as soon as I sat down with someone who was a specialist in it, it became really clear that that's what the situation was. But I love, speaking of therapy, this new initiative that CVS is taking on, which is yeah, like in-store therapy sessions and access to telehealth therapy sessions at a really affordable rate. They're rolling it out in Texas, Florida, and Philly and Pennsylvania. I think it's so cool. And the point is to make therapy more accessible to populations that don't always have access to mental health care. And people without insurance can book sessions from $129 as an intro session all the way to like 69 bucks for a regular 30-minute session with a therapist, which is still pricey, but so much more affordable than a lot of therapy out there. It's so awesome. I think there's probably some weird insurance deals happening, but I think sure. <laughs> I think overall this is just like such a good sign that it's generally being less stigmatized and it's not a big deal. You can walk into your local CVS in the future in certain states and actually get help immediately. That's really cool. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I wonder if it's therapy as opposed to a psychiatrist. Right. A psychiatrist can diagnose yeah. you and give you a prescription. So I feel like it probably makes sense to have all that in, under one roof at some point. But yeah. it doesn't sound like that's what's happening, at least right now. It seems like talk therapy, which I don't know. That's the, yeah, to your point, they're a giant company. I'm sure they're not just doing it out of the goodness of their hearts, but it's so cool to see more people understanding that mental health care is part of healthcare and it's part of wellness and, and well-being. Yeah, absolutely. So that's our news of the week. One last thing, this week in the class, lots of new job listings. So go check those out if you're looking for wellness or wellness adjacent jobs, part-time, full-time, remote work, all the good stuff. Now that we're going back to work, there's some goodies in there. And you can find those in the cusp in the Mighty Networks community. And we also send out a weekly email with all of those links. So you can join the cusp. It's five bucks a month. It's a really cool community. We we're just talking about, oh, sex. We were just talking about supplements for libido. Oh, also in two weeks, dropping a white paper on non-binary sex tech and what's happening in the sex tech space, because there's a lot of really cool stuff happening. There really is. It's that industry is popping. It's good. So join the cast. It's really fun in there. If you like this, you'll probably like that. And next up, we're going to take a little music break and we're going to go into a question we got last week about using shadow as the key to finding your purpose. Hey, Michelle. Um, I did have a question. Before in a podcast, you kind of hinted at finding your passion or purpose was related to getting to know your shadow aspects. And I've been having a hard time figuring out like what the fuck I'm meant to do 
with this one wild and precious life or whatever. And so just like hearing more stories or more ideas about how you can connect with that beyond like just you know, what do people tell you you're good at and what did you like to do as a child because that is leading me nowhere. All right, thanks so much. And I'm loving your podcast. So I love this question and I love this topic because I fucking love shadow work, probably because I'm a Scorpio moon and because it was the first thing to me in the wellness space that didn't feel and spirituality space that wasn't like hashtag love and light. That was like dirty and gritty and like, let me see parts of myself that... I hadn't been able to before. I didn't have permission to look at in the past. And getting that opportunity to look at myself truthfully and not in a personal development way of like, you're a piece of shit (laughs) and you need to like do better, but in a way of like acknowledging that maybe there are some things that I could be working on. And also maybe there are some things I can just accept about myself. I don't need to constantly be in improvement mode. What I really need to do is just embody who I am and embrace who I am. All the parts of me, even the parts of me that are like, I've been taught to think are bad or I've been told are shameful or I've been told are too much by either society or people in my life or our parents or our teachers or people we respect and admire. And so if you don't know about shadow work, I so recommend checking out the book, The Dark Side of Light Chasers. It is an awesome read. It is fucking intense, but it's a really good book. I also love Pixie Lighthorse's book, Gold Mining the Shadows. It's awesome. And it's a, it's much shorter. So if you're like, "Mm, I just want to dip my toe into the shadowy waters, then start with Pixie's book. If you're like, I am going ovaries to the wall, then definitely read the like dark side of light chasers, which is so good and has tons of exercises inside of it. And just as a heads up, if you're in the North node, we did an entire month of shadow work. So we have a great shadow work module inside of the North node that walks you through like 10 days of exercises. It's very robust and it's definitely worth revisiting for every couple of months. But let's go back on what shadow basically is. So the term shadow work was kind of coined or popularized by Carl Jung, the psychoanalyst who new agey people love. But shadow work is not like a new thing. It's something that cultures across the world have been examining for ages, right? It's duality. It's the acknowledgement that we have light sides and we have dark sides and one side isn't good and one side isn't bad. You know, I was talking to Jaleesa Cypress last week, actually, for the podcast. And something that I brought up that I just love that she said is when we make something good, something is, is we call, if we qualify something as good, then we're automatically qualifying other things as bad. And really there's no like, there's no morality to life. It's things just are. <laughs> so we don't need to make meaning of them. And, and often the things that we assume are bad or that we make bad about ourselves, we hide away. We sort of like press down and collapse and hide inside of ourselves. We repress them. When we repress any aspect of ourselves, we're repressing ourselves. It's not just like the bad part, quote unquote, bad part, right? It's you in your brilliance and your your vibrancy and you're just like genius. So if you repress a tiny aspect of you, then you're also repressing the like beautiful genius parts of you too. And that's the thing that Carl Jung talks about a lot. So he says that, you know, our shadow are the aspects of our and elements of ourselves that we have deemed too shameful to hold. 
so we repress them and we say that we don't have those. We don't let, let them see the sun. We don't show them. These can be qualities like jealousy or a bad temper, anger, resentment, rage, bitchiness, right? Like there are so many different flavors of what we deem as shameful, either for ourselves and our families or just in society in general. I'm sure you can think of some qualities or aspects that society is deemed as unsavory, right? And as quote unquote bad that we often, you know, we shame people for having maybe for women, it's being sexual, or maybe for men, it's being emotional. Those are so basic, but they come up so, so, so consistently. And this is often what's articulated in the spiritual world when it comes to shadow work. But a huge piece that people forget is that shadow isn't just the like things that you'd think are shitty about yourself. Your shadow is also the gold, the gold that you hold in your soul. It is the aspects of you that are so good that they make you special. And we don't want to be special because we learn at a young age often that if we are special, if we stand out, then we're going to get rejected. We're going to get in trouble because people don't like it when you're special. They just don't, right? They villainize you. They hold you at an arm's length distance. They honestly like they make your life a lot more difficult. And so we often take the things that are the best about us, the things that are innate to us, the gold, truly the gold of who we are, and we hide it away because we've deemed it unacceptable by society. It's not acceptable for me to be special. It is not acceptable for math to be easy for me or for being an amazing parent to be easy for me or to be psychic that's not acceptable. And in order to stay safe and to be lovable, I need to minimize these aspects of myself because safety is what your unconscious brain wants, right? It just wants to survive. And we can't be mad about that. Like that's, that's what we have to do. So it's our job and our responsibility as people that are ebbing and flowing and evolving is to acknowledge our shadow and acknowledge that it's not just the bad parts of us, right? Quote unquote bad. It's not just like my pettiness and like my kind of bitchiness. But it's also the innate abilities that I have and that I hold that I'm not allowed to show to the world for fear of getting burned at the stake, right? Or being rejected or being too much. So shadow work is both. And we we so often harp on the like, embrace your dark side, embrace your shadow side, embrace the nasty, icky, horrible parts of yourself, which is great, but we don't often, you know, reframe it and, and give ourselves permission to be great, to be wonderful, to be magical, to have the gold. And so for this question about, well, how do I do use shadow work to find my purpose in work or the work that I want to make? There are so many ways to dive into this. And this is why I think that these things are integral for each other, right? That we have to know our shadow in order to know our purpose, because our purpose is hidden inside that shadow, right? It's like, does anyone have a dog where you like put the little pill inside of the the treat? (laughs) You put the medicine inside the treat. That to me, instead of medicine, it's like the gold in us, right? And we're sort of hiding away what we're amazing at inside of our shadow. We want to hide it down, repress it because it's easier and it's safer. But in order to really do what we're here to do, We have to fully be ourselves. We have to fully embrace who we are. And that's fucking scary. So, okay, how do we do this? And where do we begin? So the first thing 
Well, also, I will say some other things about shadow that like I think are important are that our shadow is like the most authentic version of us because we learn at a young age and then throughout our lives that there are elements of us that are natural to us, that we don't think there's anything wrong with us, that our society or our families or our friends tell us, oh, that's weird. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that anymore, right? And so we don't do those things anymore, but they're natural for us. They're like something that hasn't been taught, right? They just are innate qualities within us. So whenever we go back to our innate qualities, our innate gifts, our innate talents, we're obviously going to have fertile ground to build things from there, right? To bring gifts to the world. We've just repressed a lot of that authenticity. So when people say, oh, I want to be a more authentic version of myself, I want to be the fullest version of myself, like, cool, great. That's awesome. First off, you're always changing. So what's authentic to you is always going to be evolving and changing. And definitely we want to like look at those areas of yourself that you've repressed potentially because that's important information to take into consideration, right? And that's part of you too. And in order to move forward and be like authentic, right, we need to acknowledge that. And the next thing is that the cool thing about shadow and like why I think it's fascinating to dive deeper on to understand your work and what you're here to do is because it's the shit that you find fascinating. It's like you're obsessed with it. It's the thing that you can't stop thinking about because your shadow is like what you're spending so much energy trying to repress, trying to hold down, trying to control. And when we... (laughs) you think about like, okay, I'm going to use an example of dieting. So I have a history of disordered eating. And I think often about how much fucking time I spent counting calories and thinking about calories. Oh my God, all the time, even when I wasn't eating calories, right? This is such a like, to me, a perfect example of shadow. I spent so much time repressing myself, right? Trying not to get myself to, I don't know, eat cream cheese or a carb. And it was all consuming. Trying to go against who I was, right? What my body needed was all consuming. And it was only when I was able to sort of work through that, you know, with help, but also move past the fact that like I couldn't control that, that I I started to be free. And also I got so much of my life back. I got so much time back. I got so much energy back because I wasn't constantly thinking about calories and what I was going to have to order at the next restaurant that I went to with my friends and why I could only eat a half salad instead of, I don't know, an entree like a regular person. So when we spend all of our energy trying to repress ourselves and who we innately are, we don't have a lot of energy to do other things. It's like ducks on the surface of water, right? With their little feet paddling so, 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 so quickly, (laughs) but they're not going anywhere very fast. So this element or area of our life is innately fascinating to us typically. And it's also like endless fodder for digging deeper and diving deeper. It's the place in our lives, often our shadow, that we can't help but want to go deeper, to dive deeper. It's very Scorpio. You want to go to the depths, even if the depths of the water is dark and a little scary, and even if you like drown on the way down there. So I think that that is actually like a really cool thing to think about when it comes to your business because you'll never be bored. (laughs) Like if you let your shadow work inform the business that you create, let's say you're, yeah, maybe let's use that example of disordered eating, right? If you're constantly obsessing about food, well, 
maybe it actually makes sense to lean into that, to shine a light on that and to say, let's talk about this. Like maybe I want to find solutions for myself and I want to find solutions for other people because this is a pathway that I can continue to walk down and continue to find nooks and crannies that are interesting and endlessly fascinating because I'm still, still figuring this out for myself. The next thing that I think is really helpful when it comes to doing shadow work and why doing shadow work can illuminate what your, not like life path or life purposes, but what your business might be is because it's what you're naturally good at. It's what naturally comes to you. Like I said, often our shadow is the stuff, is the gold in inside of us, the things that we're innately gifted and talented at, that we were told at some age in our, you know, at some point in our lives that we needed to hide away because either being good made other people feel bad or because we were so gifted that it was scary, it wasn't appropriate, or that we made other people feel scared or bad about themselves. And so in order to make them not feel bad about themselves, we were told to dim our light, right? We were told to not raise your hand so often in class. Don't talk out. Don't always give the answers. Don't go first in line. Don't go first across the floor in your dance class, whatever it might be, right? Don't sing so loud because your voice is so good, but you can't hear everybody else. And so as a result, we get small, right? And we maybe forget that we were even gifted and talented at that thing because we're so used to keeping it small. And we're also so used to not talking about it. And we can eventually forget how talented we are, how good we are at that one thing. So doing shadow work might bring that up for you of like, oh yeah, I've, I've always been actually really good at that. Or that thing has come naturally to me and it, it's really hard for other people. Or maybe you even have a story of when you were shamed into... I don't know, like not going first or being too good, being too big. I remember at some point in when I was dancing, being told by a teacher, you know, you shouldn't always go first and you shouldn't always stand in the front because you're going to make other people feel bad, even though you're one of the best in the class. And I really took that to heart for so long in my life. I would stand in the very back. I would hide. Even at auditions, I would hide. And it took me so long to realize that that was old programming that someone told me a long time ago. And it even, you know, fixed my brain into thinking, oh, I wasn't good. So I should stand in the back. And it's interesting what we take in and what we're able to sort of uncover as we're doing shadow work around our, our belief systems that have maybe really shifted how we've shown up in the world consistently. And finally, one of the reasons that I really love doing shadow work and why I think it's really important for finding your purpose is because shadow work and, and sort of like pulling shadow traits or the gold that we hold in our shadow out can also help us identify archetypes that are within us. So let's say I have this, actually I'll, I'll use some examples from my life. So I never wanted to be difficult, right? I wanted to make things easier for other people. My shadow was being difficult, being needy or being too much, being too much. I'm always too much. That's been my shadow work for a really long time. Too loud, too bold, too smart or too shy or whatever. And that has come up so consistently in my life of being too much that it's become part of my shadow, right? But when I excavate that, there's actually an archetype there. 
What is someone who is difficult, potentially? Someone who goes against the grain. Someone who doesn't do things the way everyone else does them. Someone who's not, doesn't make life easy all the time. That's the rebel archetype, right? And I know that the rebel archetype is really important to me and it shows up in my life consistently. And so noticing that that's part of my shadow. And of course, our archetypes can have light sides and dark sides too when they're in balance and when they're out of balance can help us like operate in the world because all we're doing are playing characters, right? We've got all these archetypes in us. We've got all these characters and roles that we play and we're, we're jumping in and out of interchangeably all the time. And when you kind of know what's in your wheelhouse, what you have access to, I think it helps inform how you show up in the world. And when I was able to ad- acknowledge that like, actually I am the rebel archetype. I'm not a people pleaser. I'm not easy, <laughs> try as I might. I have this rebel inside of me that sometimes makes things really difficult for me and the people around me. But that rebel is really, really important because that rebel doesn't settle and just do things because they're supposed to. The rebel asks, why are we doing it this way? I know it would be easier to pay people minimum wage. But what if I don't? What if I pay them a fair wage? What if I go above and beyond and pressing back against what's expected from society, which like, you know, has its place every now and then. Another example could be, you know, when I was growing up, I had a really hard time making decisions, being decisive. And I often, you know, in friend groups, I felt like I couldn't be myself. I had to be this, like, I couldn't be the loud, vibrant version of myself. So I kind of had to blend into the crowd. And that made me feel really bad. I had a lot of shame around like not knowing who I was. And I definitely had that in my shadow of like, I'm not interesting and I'm not unique unique and there's nothing like there's nothing interesting about me. I'm just like everyone else. In fact, I'm worse than everyone else. I'm like a blank slate and anyone who I'm around, I reflect back, but I don't really have a personality of my own, which is so not true. (laughs) So not true. But that was a big part of my shadow, right? Especially as an art maker, as a creator, it's like, I don't have anything interesting to say. I don't have an interesting personality. I'm not interesting. Everyone else around me is interesting, but I'm just boring. I don't have anything of value to offer the world other than reflecting the world back. And that actually isn't true. It's something that, you know, I sort of like held down in my soul and it's not right, but it has made me noticing that wishy-washiness, right? Or like that ability to sort of shift in and out of different communities. That's the shapeshifter archetype. And the shapeshifter archetype is a really valuable one, right? Like sometimes we need to be able to walk in between two worlds. And in fact, that was the reason that I started holisticism. I was able to shapeshift between the tech world and the spiritual world and the wellness world. I was able to sort of stand on either side of those thresholds uniquely. And that unique perspective, that shapeshifter, that thing that I'd been so ashamed of, the thing that I had so much guilt around and so much stuff around actually is what helped me create my company. It helped me embodying that, helped me realize that that's actually a gift. And it's actually so cool. So my recommendation, there's so many different ways we can dive into shadow work to find our purpose, to find the sort of like interesting facet of what we might want to focus on in our work. And I think that like, 
you can't really go wrong with shadow work. <laughs> so I recommended two books, The Dark Side of Light Chasers and Gold Mining the Shadows. And we also have a really good module inside of the North Node on shadow work. But I'm going to give you a free exercise that's linked in the show notes. It's a Notion document and it'll help you walk through shadow work. But I hope that's useful. And I can't wait to hear how it goes for you. I know that doing shadow work was life-changing for me and really valuable. And that's this week's episode. I hope that you enjoy it. And if you could go ahead and smash that subscribe button, it makes a really big difference to us. We are a small but mighty team and we love making content for you and we hope it's useful. And if you've gotten anything valuable from the 12th House podcast or any of our guests, just hitting follow or subscribe really helps us get found by other people. And it's a great way to complete energetic exchange and what happens here. If you're already a subscriber, thank you so much. You're the best. And if you want to go ahead and share this on IG, we love that. Tag us so that we can repost you and send you all the love. And I think that's it. All right. We'll see you next week and we'll see you on the internet. Bye.